inspired person welcome to another episode this is my last episode for this season of dope black women doing dope black women things it's taken a little bit longer than usual but this is the last episode i'm super excited for you to hear from miss helen higginbotham both um it's a great conversation she has so much wisdom so much life experience that she just openly shared with me If you want, you can also view the episode on YouTube. It'll be there up on YouTube. And as always, be sure to like, follow, and share. Keep up with what I'm doing through my Instagram. It's at Dr. Keisha. That's at at D-R underscore K-E-I-S-H-A. And I'll be back in a few with a new season for you. Listen up and take care. Today, our guest is Ms. Helen Higginbotham, Esquire, MBA. Helen is an attorney and MBA whose professional energies are focused on advocating for human and civil rights. She is a community activist whose work largely addresses matters of race, politics, children, and women. She enjoys opinion writing, public speaking, community organizing, and teaching. She has served on several community boards, volunteered as a human rights commissioner, and president of a local NAACP chapter. She is the founder of When Black Women Gather LLC, an initiative charged with promoting relationship building and intergenerational conversations between women. She is committed to uplifting the community through volunteerism, mentoring, educating, advocating, and promoting community development via political and self-empowerment. Recently, Helen has been the former director of Affirmative Action and Workplace Compliance at a New Jersey State College. She resides in Harlem and is a graduate of Rowan University, Howard University, and Rutgers University School of Law, respectively. Welcome, Helen. Hi. Hi. I actually live. I live in Jersey now. That's what I thought. I was like, okay. So I feel like I was living in Harlem when I wrote that. Awesome. So like, I feel like the last time I spoke to you, which was probably one of the first times that I spoke to you, you were like, I live in Jersey. So (laughs) the theme of um, of this season is dope black women doing dope black women things. And, you know, I love bringing women on such as yourself who are very accomplished, who your life's work is to uplift and inspire others. Um, But really to sort of peel back the layers and talk about the the misadventures and adventures that got you to where you are the lessons learned and things like that um so i met helen via facebook i feel like this season so the first season it was a lot of friends of mine and a couple people that i knew like friends of friends and so this season there's a lot of people that i've just sort of connected with via social media i met them someplace at some point So in the summer of 2019, I think I was raising money to complete my documentary and a friend of mine suggested that I look for um, groups that are centered around women on social media. And I came across your group. And so I emailed a bunch of groups and was like, can I post this on your page? A lot of them said no. um, Because they have rules around solicitations. Um, which I respected, although I felt like I wasn't just soliciting. But 
you were yeah. you were maybe one of two, if that many, that actually allowed me to post on your group. Um, I did meet my goal. And then once the documentary was complete, I invited you to view it with some of my um, funders. So that's okay. how we met. Uh, yeah, now as you said, I didn't even remember, but yeah. I'm disappointed that more women, I mean, if it's not us helping each other, then how do we do it? Um, the only kinds of things I say no to are, you know, like my grandmother just died, I'm trying to do a GoFundMe, because you can't control that, and I have right. no way of knowing the authenticity of it. Um, but I thought your project was powerful, and just to give you a plug, um, you know, your film was wonderful, and I can't wait to show it to our women. But, um, yeah, so I'm glad that I said yes. Of course I said yes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, mm. So I found you via this book, um, Facebook, and the, your group is When Women Gather. and you When have, Black Women Gather. When Black Women Gather, and you're very mm-hmm. specific that this is the space. I love every time I go to the page, like, this, is, this space is for Black women. I understand you want to mm-hmm. bring your friends. I'm paraphrasing y'all. But understand you want to bring your friends, but this space is for us. Yes. Um, and you have over 5,000 members mm-hmm. on there. Yeah. Tell yeah. us about that. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of interesting. So I've been doing When Black Women Gather for a while. And, you know, pre-pandemic, um, I was not as focused as I am on it right now. Um, and, you know, I would have like a brunch or, you know, we had... Um, I don't know if you remember the film Dark Girls. Um, do you remember that by Bill Duke? Produced by Bill Duke. Oh, it was powerful. It's talking about, you know, our complexion issues that we have, some mm. of us. And I was like, yeah. But when I saw the film, I said, we have to show this film. Not only did we show the film, but I was able to reach out to Bill Duke and he Skyped in and talked to us for like 45 minutes. I, we wanted him to stay longer than he would have. So after we watched the film, we literally got to talk to the producer. Um, so, you know, those kinds of things. And then I would do things in the community. I became known as like the movie lady because if there was a black movie that came out, I had a relationship with a local theater. We would get the whole theater, watch the film and then say and have a community discussion about it. And it was powerful because there are so many resources right here in your own community and you don't know it. And the crazy thing is that even though I was living in Harlem, I'm from New Jersey, so I would come <laughs> all the way down here and I think people didn't even realize I didn't live here so, <laughs> so now I really live here but, uh, but I'm from here I'm from here um but um so anyway when the pandemic happened you know I was home under the lawn I'm like this is crazy you know and other people are probably feeling the same way mm-hmm. so I just sent out an email to like I don't know how many maybe 20 some women showed up and we were just so happy to see each other and to see faces and to laugh and whatever so it started from there in March to here we are 40 some weeks later we meet every Sunday and it's unusual for us to have less than 100 women but we've had as many as 200 and more women on our call at any given time Lovely. and we talk about all kinds of things um, mostly issues that are affecting us um, you know what it's like for you know because I like to have intergenerational conversations so We'll have women from, I think our youngest has been like 22, 23, the oldest literally 92 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah, and we've, we've lost the art of that, of, you know, passing mm-hmm. on traditions and wisdom. And, you know, we told young women what to expect when they get old and all these crazy things start happening to your body, those Ooh. things that nobody told. And we just had great conversations. We had Nikki Giovanni.
Bonnie on. Um, I'm friends with Tina Lippert from Queen Sugar, and she's been on because she does inner fitness work. We did a fundraiser for um, Dr. Uh, Hadaya Green, who's trying to raise money to cure cancer. I mean, it's just been really powerful. We've had women, Black women who live overseas who have you know, called in and talked to us. And that's the other thing. Our calls are international. So it's people throughout the country and, you know, somebody from Vietnam. We have people, women calling in from Africa, Colombia. It's just really powerful. And it's Black women, our safe space just for us. So and this cool. happen, This happens on Zoom, correct? Yes, we do it on Zoom. Awesome. Yes. So you, you do so many things. Um, and even with us, like getting you to get on the podcast today, you had so much going on, and um, <laughs> but you and yes. I kept and I kept saying, you know, I feel tired, and you or you know, you had a really stressful day. Like we can figure it out, but I appreciate you showing up for me and showing up for our audience. Um, and I think that shows your heart. Um, yeah. So when you think, and so what part of New Jersey are you originally from? I grew in South Jersey. So, you know, people say Jersey, Jersey. Um, you know, they think like Newark or East Orange. No, I'm from the Philadelphia end. Right. So okay. uh, that's where I grew up. I, I have a friend that's from down. I have a friend that's from down there. Yeah. Um, so. I haven't lived here in a long time. I grew up here and my mother passed in 87. And by 88, I was living in D.C. And I've been everywhere from D.C. to Florida to New York to, you know, lived in Spain, lived in Ghana. Now I'm back here. So it's funny how you come full circle. I came back and went to law school and I left again. And now here I am again. <laughs> you're, what, you're one of these people that can say, I have lived. I have. I have. <laughs> I literally tell people if I die tomorrow, which I'm not looking to do, but there should be no tears. You know, I have definitely lived my life on my terms. I, you know, travel the world. I, I do what I want to do. It's just me. I don't have any children. I'm not married. So I, and that's how I live my life. And thankfully, because here we are now, you know, for people who worked really hard and waited to, when they retire to travel, travel's never going to be the same. So am I happy that I, you know, saw, I've been the sixth of the seven continents. I've driven across country like four times. You know, uh, life has been good. I can't complain. Awesome. So when you think about your life now or throughout the years and all the amazing things that you've done and the focus of what you work, is there something like in your childhood or your early years that you can point to that sort of mirrors or explains um, how you ended up doing all of these things? You know, it's so weird because, you know, um, growing up in small town, you know, I remember we used to always say, I can't wait till I get grown. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> um, but, you know, did I have a plan? I just, you know, no. Um, I don't know, you know, single, you know, we were a single mother, five children. Um, and she used to say, your poor kids with rich ideas. I don't know where you get this. Um, when I went to study abroad in Spain, it was my, uh, I actually finished college in three and a half years. So it was like, oh, I'll go to Spain for a semester. And um, she drove me all the way to Kennedy and she never thought I would get on the plane because <laughs> I had never been on an airplane and she was petrified of airplanes, but she drove me thinking I wouldn't get on. And of course, she was really proud of me. And, and so that's what started my travel bug, because once I once you travel and you see that, you know, whatever you're fearful about an airplane. 
plane is not true. It's really okay up there. And once you see that it's not as, you know, um, it was made to seem like it was something for other people to do, mm-hmm. that you had to have money to travel. But that's not true. That's the, you know, the most expensive thing is getting there. Most times the American dollar is really strong and you're going to be okay. So, yeah. So you are one of five. Where are you in the... Number two. Okay. I'm five of six. Okay. Oh, wow. So I was number two, and and, um, I was number two uh, numerically, but, um, you know, for all intents and purposes, I was the oldest. I was the one that my mother could rely on. I was, you know, so, yeah. So, yeah, you know, when she passed on, I think that changed the trajectory of my life as well, you know, because Mm -hmm. I lived to, to make her happy, and you know, by her being a single mother, I took much pride in being able to do wonderful things like buying her diamonds for Christmas or, you know, just little stuff. And I mean, I was, she died very young. She was 45. So Ooh. I didn't get to shower her like I wanted to. Wanted but, to. Mm-hmm, yeah. So what changed for you um, at that point? You know, it's funny. I've never wanted to have children. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the only time in my life that I thought I did want to have children, but I realized that I really didn't want to have children. I wanted to replace the relationship. Mm. So thankfully I came to my senses. <laughs> Kids are good, but I'm happy I don't have any. Don't get me wrong. No, not at all. But yeah, but yeah so, um, you know, and, and you know, um, she was my rock, you know, she is your mother. And, you know, I, I don't, I feel sorry for women who don't have good relationships with their mother. And I know that it's real. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, my mother made us think that we were just like the best thing since sliced bread and you can do whatever you want to. <laughs> so, yeah. So that was hard, you know, losing that. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, she definitely grounded us. And, you know, I feel, um, you know, I knew that I had to go on because that's what she would want me to do, right? So there is no feeling sorry for yourself. Just keep it moving. So, yeah. So did you always want to be an attorney? Uh, no. <laughs> um, so what did you want to be when you were you like? Honestly, well, if you look at my year, yeah. So if you look at my yearbook, I wanted to be, uh, um, I think I said I wanted to be a flight attendant, you know, or a news commentator or something like that. So I was never, uh, or a social worker. So I was a social worker. My undergrad was in sociology. So I did that for a while. And I was never a flight attendant, but I worked for a major airline supervising flight attendants. So I got to live this, the flight attendant life. <laughs> and uh, and I would have retired there, but 9-11, you know, they laid everybody off management. So this, that didn't happen. And, um, you know, law school was just kind of out there, you know, after being laid off from the airline and the economy was really bad. I went to law school. It was something that when I got my MBA, I wanted to do the JD MBA, but I was Mm -hmm. at Howard. And at that time, neither school would compromise. So it was going to be a five year program. And I'm like, I don't have five years. So I did the two year JD, I mean, um, MBA and kept it moving. And then 10 years later, there I was getting the MBA. I mean, getting a JD. So So how did you go from social work to the MBA, though? You know, because I was working in social services, um, recognizing that the people that I was working for were not as smart as me, (laughs) but they were making a lot more money than me. And I'm like, wait a minute. So that's why I went back to get, 
you know, now if I wasn't a black woman, I wouldn't even do all that because my performance would have said, I'd give her an opportunity. But, you know, you've got to have papers when you're black. So I went back and got an MBA. Now, what I should have done was stayed in the social service area and excelled that way. But I went corporate. So I did corporate. I did telecom for a long time. Um, and this was you know, in D.C.? I worked for MCI. I don't know if you remember that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, my first job was actually in California. <laughs> I, I, uh, I went to California, worked for Pacific Bell. And then when I came back east, because I kept coming back to D.C. Every time I would leave D.C., I kept coming back. <laughs> um, and uh, then I worked for MCI and D.C. and Cellular One. And I think that was it for telecom. And mm-hmm. then I chilled on the beach for a year in Florida. And when I got back in the game, I ended up in the airline industry. So, yeah. Nice. Nice. So what made you then jump to law from, but you always wanted to do the law degree though. I think it was kind of a given like, yeah, yeah. I was actually disillusioned though, somewhere in the middle of law school. because. (laughs) and 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 if I was smart, I remember one girl, she was like, this is nonsense. And she dropped out. Um, so I actually had gotten accepted into a PhD program for business leadership and a JD program. And if I had it to do again, honestly, I would have pursued the PhD in business leadership. Not that I regret having a JD, but I just think, um, eh. but the nice thing about the JD is it's flexible. It allows you, it gives you so much leverage to do so many different things. So mm-hmm. it's good. Um, but I've always been an advocate for people. Um, So I think it comes full circle, right? Because even as a social worker, my thing was to build people up so that they could be self-sufficient and advocate for themselves. And as an attorney, that's, you know, you're advocating for others, but hopefully teaching them in the same time to advocate for themselves. So it's it's all related. And, um, you know, my focus in law school was labor and employment, which ties into my work with my MBA because, with the MBA, I, I often work in union shops, um, large employee groups, um, and dealing with all those labor issues. So it just kind of fell in, mm-hmm. fell into sync, yeah. So you've moved through different industries, different cities, different states, different types of <laughs> jobs. Has there ever been a time where you came to a place where you were just like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what I'm going to do. What is this life? (laughs) Yeah, you know what? It's funny because I remember when I was getting my MBA, because I'm just a free spirit, plain and simple. I'm a free spirit. Um, I live my life on my terms. And I remember when I was in uh, grad school at Howard, one of my professors, he said, ah, Helen, don't worry. I was 50 before I knew what I wanted to do. I was like, Dr. Erber. (laughs) Um, But again, you know, I don't have any regrets because it's just been, it, it works for me, you know, when I, so now that my friends who've been on the same job for 30 years, how boring is that? (laughs) <laughs> but they're, they're all retiring and I, I can't, you know, I'm not going to be able to do that. But I've accepted that some time ago. Um, and, you know, they don't feel sorry for me because they say that, <laughs> they say that while they were working, I was traveling and seeing the world. <laughs> 
So, you know, it all pans out, but I'm good. I'm good. You know, the question that I usually get is, so like, where are you going to settle down at? Um, and I always thought it would be D.C., but D.C. is not chocolate anymore. I don't like mm. D.C. Uh, I loved it back in the day. Loved it. Um, but, you know, it's not the same anymore. So, you know, ultimately, um, you know, I don't know. I'm here in Jersey for right now, but we'll see. Um you know, I'm a summer bunny. I love the sun. So mm-hmm. I'll probably be somewhere where the sun is shining and I can wear shorts and sandals <laughs> every day, <laughs> you know. So, but we'll see. But I'm good. I'm, you know, right now I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm very comfortable here where I am in Jersey. In those moments when you may have been less than uncomfortable or a little bit like wondering what your next step was, what you were going mm-hmm. to do, what was the thing or the things that helped you to sort of like get back on track or seek out a new path? Um, you know, I think at some point, excuse me, it's just a matter of assessing where you are. And I, and I believe, you know, I believe in challenging yourself and I, I'm not ever afraid of no. So anything that I want, I'll ask for. Um, and it's crazy. Some of the things that I've gotten, it's like, really? Did they just say yes? Um, so it's those kinds of things that keep you going, right? Um, um, yeah, so I, there's nothing magical about anything that I do. And no, it really isn't. And, you know, people say, oh, I live vicariously through you. And I'm like, don't, just live, <laughs> live your right. life. Right, but I think the strength to be willing to ask and know that the worst thing that somebody can say is no and you'll be okay. I think I think that is a wonder to a lot of people though, because a lot of people aren't able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean honestly, I wish I could think of something just ridiculous that I've asked for and I was just and, about to ask you. Like, yeah, I, I, yeah. <laughs> I wish I could think because it's it's really it's like they just say yes, like you're kidding me, right? You know, so you know, yeah, somebody tells you no, you like keep it moving. It's nothing personal. Keep it moving, you know. Um, so I tell people all the time, you know, believe in yourself and don't allow other people to limit you. Um, live your life on your terms. I have a friend who lives outside the country, her family doesn't understand it. I totally get it. And I'm like, girl, it's your life, do what you gotta do. Um and I think, you know, we get so caught up in what other people think about us and what we're doing. And as long as you're living on your terms and you're not asking anybody for anything or you, you do not need their permission, do you. As long as, but don't buy, see, the thing with me is I don't, if I don't like you, I don't, um, I don't do, I don't mess with you. I'm done, I, like, I don't go out of my way to make other people unhappy or whatever. Mm-hmm. It just takes too much energy. Just, we're, we're cool, you know, yeah. reason. Reasons and seasons of lifetimes. I believe that too. And it sounds like you're big also on like protecting your peace. Oh, yeah. I learned that early. (laughs) I learned very early in life too, luckily, you know, um, going through some things as a young person. Um, And when I removed myself from the situation, I literally physically could see and feel. Uh, the transformation. And I, I was very young when I learned that. So mm-hmm. be, because of that, I don't let anything stress me. Mm-hmm. Um, not a job, you know, and that's the thing, you know, I've had good jobs and I just like walked away from it. Why? Because uh, you can't stress, I'm not going to be stressed out over a job. Um, 
I believe that we should be able to go to work and it should be our refuge. It should be your place to get away from whatever the craziness is. And, you know, people don't want to stand up for themselves in the workplace because they're afraid to to lose their job. Mm -hmm. But when you deal with, you keep all that internal, then you have cancer, you have high blood pressure, you go Mm -hmm. home, you beat your wife, you beat your kids. So make your choice, you Mm -hmm. know? And I always say, if our ancestors had waited for everything to be comfortable before they took a stance, where would we be? You know, what people have to recognize, one of the things that I, you know, my big thing is I want to empower people to believe in themselves in the workplace and from a legal perspective to know that you don't have to be a victim. And I love sharing examples of things that have happened to me. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I love to tell people is, um, you know, I was working for MCI, which is a defunct company at this point. Um, I had an MBA. My wife, a supervisor, we both had MBAs. She had hired me. She decided that she was going to go home and make babies. And I'm like, okay, you know. But she wanted me to know that I'll call her Becky. Um, <laughs> Be- <laughs> Becky was going to be my new supervisor and would I, you know, help help her to learn the ropes. Now, the problem with Becky was that Becky literally had a GED, maybe a high school diploma, but she had nowhere near. She was not my age, nor did she have... Um, you know, the equal education. And I'm like, I'm not reporting to her. And um, she couldn't understand why not. And I'm like, well, I didn't go with the black, white, black, white thing. Cause like, really? <laughs> um, and I said, because she doesn't have, I have an MBA. She has a GED. I'm not reporting to her. And I thanked her for her time. And I told her that I would be speaking to her supervisor, who was a black woman who is celebrated in the community who had, I think she had one black manager on her whole team. Uh, So I go and I meet with her and she tells me what I can do so that the next time I can be considered. And I thank her for her time because you always respect the chain of command. And I let her know that I was going over her head and I went to the VP and I didn't talk to anybody else because they knew where I was going with this. And I will tell you that Becky never became my supervisor, not ever. <laughs> and I didn't, but what's more important is that I did not get fired. I stood up for myself and I didn't get fired. I was willing, however, to be fired. Why? Because I'm not going to go to work every day. Can you imagine? That's what our ancestors did. They trained, you know, the supervisor's illiterate kid to take over their job. You know how heartbreaking that is? And um, so we internalize all that. I said, I'm not going to do it. So those are the kinds of things that I want people to recognize. Recently, I had a job at a local college. I'm director of affirmative action. They decided they were going to do a nationwide uh, search for a provost. Um, A provost is a well sought after job because the next step is college president. Mm-hmm. Not a hard job to fill. And it pays 200000 and it's right outside New York. It's not like we're trying to ask you to live in, you know, East Jablip. It's, it's in New York, right? Uh, outside is in Jersey, but New York. Mm-hmm. And um, they bring me back nine white candidates. <laughs> oh, like, are you kidding? <laughs> like, this ain't happening. And one of the people who had applied was a black woman who was the vice provost. She didn't even get an interview not even an interview. So what happens is when we sit back and allow these things to happen, you become the beard, which is, you know, uh, I don't know if that's derogatory or not, but you know, you become the face for, you become the cover for these kinds of things so that 
when they get called on it, they'll say, well, what do you mean? We're not discriminating. We got Black Helen here and she didn't say anything about it. Yeah, Helen did. And then you yeah. have to certify so those, the pool. Yeah, and, and I didn't. <laughs> did not. But now here's the problem, though. You know, the Black woman who I reported to, she was willing to do whatever they wanted her to do. And that becomes a problem. So when you don't pull together, there's always some, they always find the weakest link and how they can divide us. And there's always somebody who's so happy to be at the table that you're not going to speak up at the table. And I feel like, get up, please. If you're sitting at that table in your own interest, you are doing a larger disservice to us than, you know, the man, if you will. So get up from the table. And we need to stop celebrating people. Make them earn it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, some people don't belong at the NAAC picnic. <laughs> and we need to revoke their card. I'm serious. And we need to let them know that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I have plenty of examples of that. And, you know, it's kind of, people say you're so courageous. And I don't think of it as courage. Um, it's about taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. And that's how I look at it. Um, but I do recognize that we all have different strengths. Um, and for different reasons, you know, I'm single. I don't have children. I don't have, it's just me. So when I eat, my family eats. And I recognize that. But again, I have to take it all the way back to our ancestors. If, in fact, they had waited for everything to be comfortable, we would still be at the back of the bus. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't, um, I don't tell other people what to do with their life, but you can't tell me, you know, what you can, you know, what you're afraid to do. Like, and if you are afraid, be afraid. But when somebody like me who is willing to step out and make it better, not just for me, don't, you know, get out the way. <laughs> don't Say it again down. for the people in the back. Like, <laughs> get out the way. Because love- here's the deal. Those people will sit around and, and you know, Um, they know that because I'm raising hell and bringing issues to the forefront, they're going to lay in the cut. And when, you know, the supervisor or whoever feels like, you know, we need to relieve ourselves of some guilt or whatever, or just to prove the loud person wrong, they're going to reap the benefits. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to, you know, I don't know. It's just, I just can't, you know, I'm all about us as a people, period. And I have, have no regard for anybody else. Look, I'm about all people because when I work in these positions, even the white employees, they know as long as I'm there, they're going to be treated right because I don't stand for anything less than that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and black folks, if we don't look out for ourselves, like who will? And stop allowing yourselves to be the cover. Say, no, I'm not going to do that. When you discriminate against somebody, you're not going to have Black me or Black Keisha to go out and talk to the press about what you just did. Like, it's okay. Like, no, it's not okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. So, yeah. A lot of our listeners are in a wide age range. Um, when you think about when you were younger and being in that particular situation where you realize that you either have to choose that situation or choose your peace. What were some of the indicators for you that, first of all, your peace was being disrupted? Mm-hmm. Well, for that particular, so the first, the only situation, I didn't even realize it. Mm-hmm. And I remember I, um, you know, my mom had passed, so you're already stressed out, whatever. 
And I actually was in D.C. having lunch with a guy who I dated when his mother passed. So I was kind of like his bra. And um, he just spoke very frankly to me, you know, because I've always had beautiful hair and long fingernails and, and I was putting on weight and I hadn't even noticed it. And he said to me, he said, your mother would not want you going through all of this. Mm. Cut it loose. And it didn't resonate with me then either. Um, and then um, I remember removing myself from the situation, moving to Washington, D.C., and Physically, I'm telling you, my hair, just everything, you know, I, I just, I, I physically, I was a new person mentally and I felt it internally mm-hmm. and it was just such a good wake up call. But, you know, my weight was under control. My hair was fine. Um, you know, I didn't even see that I had put on all this weight. So it was, yeah. So mm-hmm. it was stress. I learned the lesson very early on that, you know, stress will kill you. So mm-hmm. when you can manage it, you should manage it. Awesome. What yeah. would you say or some of your more, um, your favorite sort of travel adventures? I know oh, you've had adventures. Like, I know you don't just have like boring little trips. <laughs> never, never, never. <laughs> and I meet people wherever I go. So um, I guess like my first trip to Africa was Egypt. I think all black people should see Egypt. You just walk. If you don't think you're phenomenal, you will know you're phenomenal when you finish with Egypt. You literally just walk around in amazement. And I stayed in Egypt for a month. And again, my job was I didn't pay. No, I didn't care. <laughs> I went and stayed for a month. Who's going to go to Egypt for two weeks or one week? So, and it was a situation where somebody I knew was there and it was just, everything was perfect. Um, so Egypt's probably, I'm in the five countries in Africa. Um, Egypt um, and South Africa are probably my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to get back to Senegal because I haven't been in a while. But um, I love Brazil, Bahia, Brazil. That's where I, all my trips are black focused usually. Um, and Bahia is where there's a high concentration of, um, you know, um, uh, black, black, black Brazilians. Um, so that's fabulous. I love I, And actually, I was planning to go there for my birthday in June it was a milestone birthday but of course mm-hmm. that didn't happen um so i don't know what my favorite is i've just been a lot of places you know i love long drives so it's nothing for me to get in my car i call them my southern trips and i'll go across the south and just do black history tours um the last one that i did pre-covid um i took it with, with my black women gather Mm-hmm. Uh, it was 18 black women and we went to uh, Alabama and it was just a phenomenal trip we did Selma, we did Montgomery and we did Birmingham and uh, we were looking forward to doing more of that and that COVID happened but yeah so you like you know having intergenerational conversations with black women mm-hmm. what do you think as black women we need to be thinking about right now or be thoughtful about right now? I mean, look, the thing for us to understand is that we have, we didn't just win this election for the Democrats. We won many other elections for for the Democrats. And it's real important that we leverage our voice, that we, um, the thing that I love about when Black women gather is that we 
don't care if you're a CEO or a janitor. Everybody has a voice. Everybody feels welcome. Um, because I'm an attorney, when, when I would do my you know live things, the best compliments that I would get is that people, first of all, nobody believes, you're an attorney, you're too nice. I'm like, good. <laughs> um, so, um, but that people would be in a room with attorneys, with judges, mm-hmm. and didn't feel slighted in any kind of way. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, we have to stop allowing the things that divide us to divide us, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's, you know, sororities, churches, you know, JD, no degree, what difference does it make? It doesn't matter. Um, so we need to, to, to be conscious of that and to lift each other up. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talk about Black Girl Magic, uh, I believe black girl magic is real mm-hmm. um, and it's not a buzzword. So don't just talk it. Do you live it? Do you acknowledge black women when you pass each other on the street? Um, you know, do you help your sister fix her crown or does it just sound good that you say that? Mm. Um, do you allow a sister to advertise that she's trying to get her movie promoted <laughs> on your site? <laughs> That's why I'm like, so live it. Don't just talk it, live it. Um, and I think what we have is just a powerful connection. Um, what nourishes me is being around Black women. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just have something that no other women have. I actually do conversations because I want to have, uh, I'm trying to branch off into hosting what are called difficult conversations, Mm -hmm. but I think they're not difficult conversations. They're conversations that we don't want to have, so we Mm -hmm. call them difficult, and they usually have to do with race. So since we're having this reckoning in America on race, and it's really white people who are having the reckoning, because black folks already know what's happening, right? Mm -hmm. So white people are being woke up. I host calls with white women, and they're very powerful. And I tell them in our calls, I'm gonna tell everybody on all of our calls, but particularly on these calls, I will say to them that we will have a conversation um, where I can guarantee you respect, but I cannot guarantee you comfort, Mm. nor am I interested in guaranteeing you comfort. Because I think for all of us, we have these conversations where we're so focused on the formalities and trying to say what's right and being politically correct that we're not honest with one another and we're not having real conversations. So the conversations that I host, um, and I've done, like we've done black men, we've got to do more with black men, we've done white women, and I intend to do with white men as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, take the gloves off and let's talk. You know, let's be real, um, informal, um, because we get so caught up in the formalities that we just lie to each other. And that's not the conversation that we have. So it's pretty real. I enjoy it a lot. God bless you, Miss Helen, because... I couldn't do it, um, but you out here doing the work. Uh, I want to go back to something you said about adjusting our sister's crown. What does that look like in everyday situations? It looks like when, like when I, if if you're in a room and, um, I don't know, people don't wear slips. Like if your slip was hanging, like I'm not saying- the same image that popped into my head. Yeah, like I, I come to you and I say, hey, sis, you know what I mean? Um, or if we're in the workplace, here's the deal. Here's a real one. So you and I are going for the same job. Well, we both can't get the job. 
am I happy that you got the job or I'm angry with you because you got the job? And I didn't. Like, you know, so that's that's what's helping your sister. And then when I get the job, what am I doing? Am I reaching back? Am I trying to help other people? That's what I'm talking about. And as Black people, we need to start holding each other accountable. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's running around talking about Black girl magic and sister this, and, and you know they're not, I mean, you can be discreet, but you need to let them know, like, really? Like, that's not, you know. Yeah. And, and we need to address things in real time. Like, don't wait six months later. Yeah. Like, deal with it right now. This is how I'm feeling. And because we're sisters, we can talk about it. Yeah. And I just want to, like, translate for some of our audience that might not understand what the slip is. Because I grew up <laughs> I grew up wearing slips. And wearing I don't, slips. I don't anymore. <laughs> But I just threw one away the other day. I'm like, why do I still have this? Why would we put it, Miss Helen? Why? I mean, I'm calling you Miss Helen now because I'm like, that's okay. So much not wisdom for me. And when I talk to you, okay. I just feel like I'm talking to somebody that's like the same age as me, just like laughing, right? But like, yeah. why would you think slips on little girls? Like, it's just like <laughs> so bizarre. But anyway, yeah. but it's like, you know, if your bra strap is showing, but if something about your sister is showing, it might be something that she might even be saying or doing on social media. Or I don't know. Or at school, let her know, like, don't create a post about it. Put her on blast, like pull her aside and let her know. And honestly, when I was raising money for my film, it was really hard because I was reaching out to a lot of women and some of my guy friends were trying to connect me with other women who they felt like this is what this person talks about. They should definitely. And no. And that and that's when I realized that and and I don't know if and I guess I've I've been cognizant of it before but it was just like in my face that a lot of women who talk about women's empowerment and black girl magic and all this stuff they don't really believe it because they don't really they don't they don't live it and they don't really like black women and, and possibly don't necessarily like themselves because of any number of things so I think like I said you allowed me to put it on your Facebook group you reached out to me afterwards and everything else like that and that to me just shows you you walk the talk. So you know the the intro there are, and there are a lot of women who say because um, I first of all I have a zillion friends honestly um, and um, which is difficult to manage sometimes right but um, and it's it's basically so people will say that they don't feel the black girl magic thing but what I love about what we've been doing since last March is that people are saying, girl, you're going to make me believe this black girl magic stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So, I mean, you know, the more that you exhibit it, the the better it is. Um, And, and, you know, and look, we did a show. I call them shows. I don't know what they are. We, we um, We did a call like right before the end of the year. And we talked about, um, am I, am I my sister's keeper? Because, you know, um, we have a lot of women have horror stories. You know, we talk about white women and what they do to us in the workplace or whatever. But how could we have that conversation about them without having that conversation about us? And, uh, you know, it went over well. But, you know, um, a lot of women feel like that's not that's not been my experience. I don't find that black women are especially supportive of me. And again, I say that you have to call people out of their stuff when they're doing it, you know? So don't allow people to, you know, run around with the black girl mantra. And if they're not living it, call them on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Call them on it. I love it. So we're going to move to the lightning round. 
it's easy. It's easy. It's just I ask you a bunch of random questions and you just give me back your answer. Don't even think about it too much. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, the first question is what is your favorite color? <laughs> black. Okay. I thought you were going to say black. Uh-huh. Um, your favorite dessert? Oh, um, probably, uh, probably banana pudding. Okay. Um, celebrity crush. Um, none. That's pretty far fetched. <laughs> none. <laughs> none. I'm, no, I can't. I don't even go there. Like, I can't okay. Okay. Let's replace the question then. Mm-hmm. Uh, where's the one place you haven't been yet that you want to go? Ooh. So I've been to six of the seven continents and everybody's like, you have to go to the last one, which is Antarctica, which I don't really have any um, intention. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Um, I, I spent a lot of time in Africa, but I want to do uh, Spanish is my second language. So I would like to spend some time, some more time in, in South America looking for black folks, even Mexico. There's like black people everywhere. So, yeah, that would be my next. If I had a lot of money and time, that's what I would do. So how did Spanish become your second language? Was it because of the study abroad? No. So, you know, when you're in high school, you have to take a language. Uh And I can understand why are people taking French? There's no French people here. Everybody (laughs) here speaks speaks Spanish. Um, So I took Spanish in school and um, and then I took some, you know, more of it when I was in. Um, undergrad and then like it was my minor when I was in undergrad so when I was finished like I said I was finished with classes and I could have graduated in December but I was like "Eh, I'll go to Spain so I went to Spain now if I were more astute I would not have gone to Spain I would have gone to a country with uh, black folks who speak Spanish like Mm -hmm. Panama or even you know I've been to Colombia and you know, yeah, I just would not have gone to Spain. Um, mm-hmm. Spain was interesting, but the racism was real. <laughs> so, yeah, but, you know, but it was so that's how it became my second language. OK, so I'm going to give you options with this question, too. Um, either your guilty pleasure or something that people would be surprised to know about you. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Um, uh, so guilty pleasures are long, long drives and reading. If I had time that I could just read all the time, that's what I would do. And I don't know if there's anything anybody, if I told you, I, I don't cook. So, you know, and I just, somebody had me do one of these shows. He has a cooking show. And I think people didn't believe me because when people say that they don't cook, they mean they just don't cook. I don't know how to cook. I have no interest in cooking. Okay, um, so that yeah. is surprising. That is surprising. But I'm sure you're a foodie anyway. You probably enjoy food from everywhere. I eat out. Well, I'm a very picky eater. I'm a horrible eater, but okay. I don't. Yeah, but my favorite pleasure um, is one. Yeah, I don't. I don't cook, so I love to eat out. So um, how do you, or how would you like? How does traveling a lot? How does like? How do you eat when you travel? If like you're a picky eater, I, I take travel. <laughs> As an opportunity and an excuse to try yeah. everything. <laughs> so I'm so bad that I don't accept dinner invitations unless the person knows it's not your food. She just really doesn't. I'm a horrible eater. Um, so when I, and people think because I travel that I'm very adventurous when it comes to eating, but I'm not. So when I'm traveling, I, um, I like to see the food first. 
<laughs> so it's something that I can identify with and then I need to taste it. And as long as it has a consistency or something that I can relate to, I'm good. Um, but I'm not very adventurous. Like I was in Africa for, I, was, I lived in Ghana for six months. I never ate, I never tasted fufu. Like, how do you do that? How? <laughs> you know, I go to the Caribbean. I want no mangoes. I'm like, you don't want what? mangoes? I'm in Mexico. I don't want avocados. Go away. I don't want guacamole. Yeah. So I'm a horrible eater. And I'm not, and I'm not adventurous. Not the mangoes. So you Oh, man. I know. They're like, are you kidding? Like, oh my no, goodness. I don't want one of my, my favorite things is when I go home to Trinidad. Um, I stay in my the house where my grandmother used to live and the neighbor next door, like she knew me as a little girl. So throughout the day, sometimes she's like, oh, Keisha, I have something for you. And she has this huge mango tree. So there are different types of mangoes. I know you're not excited about this. It's okay. No, no. <laughs> so there are di- <laughs> different types of mangoes. So she, the type of mango tree that she has in her yard, it's called a Julie mango. And it's different from the type of mango that's behind my grandmother's house. So she'll like, and it's really one of those really big ones. Um, and then I remember one time being there I don't usually travel with my brothers, but two of them were there and they picked this whole bag of mangoes. I was eating mangoes like every day, like, oh my God. So I can't imagine you just like not enjoying a mango, but I respect it. I don't eat a lot of fruits. Like even here, you know, I don't eat melons. Um, I'm just bad. I, you know, I would not, and I remember people saying to my mother, I don't know how you feed those kids. Cause yeah. And trust me, we were not one of those families where she cooked three meals and you got to pick which one. No, this is dinner. You're either going to eat it or you're not. And I was a kid who would fall asleep at the table. I, was, I still have never eaten peas and I never will. <laughs> or Brussels sprouts. So yeah, I was sitting, I'd fall asleep at the table. I was not going to eat it. And then finally she'd say, go to bed. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so yeah. But when she died, um, I was just broadening my, because you know, everybody, my mother could really cook. People loved her cooking. Um, and I was just broadening my taste buds. And I remember when she first died, trying to, recreate like a sweet potato pie. I mean, it's the only time I really tried to cook. And I used to bake. I used to bake because she used to, I used to make cakes all the time. Somehow I had an interest in baking. Um, but yeah, so when she first died, I tried to, I tried to decorate the house like her for Christmas. You know, you're going through all this emotional mm-hmm. stuff, but it all wore off. It, yeah. <laughs> okay, this is the last question. Yeah. It's hard. It's a hard question. Uh-oh. Okay. Who plays you? Who plays Helen in the story of her life? Oh, wow. And what genre is it? Is it um, comedy? Is it drama? Is it a musical? Is it um, a stage play? Is it suspense? Oh, so I'm so non-Hollywoodish, so I can't say, no, I don't know who would play me, but it would be um, like a drama comedy, because um, mm-hmm. my life is um, pretty drama-free, but, you know, I'm, I'm serious, though, so, I'm, so I, I, I'm, I'm fun, I'm a free spirit, so it'd have to be, you know, something upbeat and adventurous or what have you, um, but then I'm very serious, like, um, which I, it kind of balances out. So. Yeah. Let yeah. me see, what actress? I have no idea. I don't know who any of the, especially the young ones. I have no idea who they are. <laughs> I 
No, that's fine. You live your life on your terms. Yeah. Um, now, if it was a protege who would play me, it would be Phyllis. Because Phyllis understands me. She's 30 years younger than me, and I think she gets me. And she, she could get. Yeah. So Phyllis. that's my friend. She's a friend of mine. Okay, Phyllis. I'm like. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So if it was a stage play, she could play me and, and probably and probably exude me well. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, I love that you just live life on your own terms. You are out here impacting change and, yeah. you know, walking, walking the talk. You've done so many different things. Um, and it, I, each thing is something that has been towards like uplifting other people. Like you were, what was it that you were the former head of the local NAACP? What? Oh yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> always, I've done stuff like that. And, and I, and you know, the thing is like, come on. I mean, I just want people to believe in yourself. We have so many people who are tearing us down. Um, that we have to build each other up. And don't get me wrong, I am no saint, all right? But but I want you to call me on my stuff too. So if you say like, you know, you said this, but you did that, or you made me feel this kind of way, you need to tell me, please tell me. I have no problems with that. But, um, you know, um, so the thing is that we have to believe in ourselves. We have to believe in each other. This whole notion of being um, individuals, um, until we start as a people looking at ourselves as a collective because that's how other people observe us um and when we think of ourselves as as a collective when we know our history that's why i love my black history tours um you're empowered by all of that so i'm sharing it and um you know if i can inspire somebody with a story about my life then hey you know if i can build you up to say like your film, I mean, we're not talking about your film, but I think your film was fantastic, honestly. And I just love that you followed your dream to make it happen. So I think we're kindred spirits, Keisha. I think so too. And I appreciate <laughs> you so much. Tell the people where to find you on Facebook, the group, if you're a black woman, okay. is when black women gather, correct? Right. And that's the Facebook page. And um, if there's uh, when black women dot or when black women gather.org is the uh, website which I need to do better at uh, hey was there a young person out there who can help me I need help <laughs> um, but yeah so there's a Facebook page then there's when black women gather.org and if you want to email me you can email me at when black women gather at hotmail yes I still use hotmail.com so when black women gather at hotmail.com Awesome. Yeah. And for our Sunday calls, we would love to have you. Um, and please, you know, just send me an email. I'll add you to the email list and you'll know when they're reading. Awesome. Thank you. 